0: Hello and welcome to the World of Emotions and the Emotion Focus podcast, a series all about emotions, how they work for us, how sometimes seemingly they don't work for us, and what we may be able to do about that by understanding them better. I'm Lou Cooper. I'm your host, and I'm based in Melbourne, Australia. And I'm joined in this series by people from around the globe who have dedicated most of their professional lives to the exploration of emotions. Everything you hear on this podcast is informed by emotion theory and emotion focused therapy. And for this episode, I Eat My Feelings. I'm joined by Dr. Joanne Dahunty, who is a supervising and consulting clinical psychologist based in Toronto in Canada. And together with Dr. Leslie Greenberg, Joanne developed emotion-focused therapy for eating disorders. Thank you for joining me, Joanne. Thank you for having me, Lou. This is a, a difficult subject to talk about. Anyone who is listening who has experienced an eating disorder or has a loved one who is experiencing or has experienced an eating disorder. It's a really difficult time. It's a big challenge. So where do we start with this in terms of emotions, Joanne? Lou, it's a
1: great question to start with, because one of the things I'm very passionate about saying is while 100% we would not question or ever doubt how difficult this is for the individual and the family of someone suffering in any way from eating disorders or disordered eating or, you know, whatever's going on. But one of the things I kind of object to, so I'll start by a little disagreeing with you. And that is, I don't think it's as complicated as it's made out. And why that's so important. Well, one, I believe it's true. But the other is, I think so often, even the professional world, um, throw up their hands and say, oh, eating disorders, that's complicated. And that gives people a feeling of hopelessness, and that there is no way out. And and it's just simply not true. We have been amazed, amazed, amazed at what has been possible in terms of recovery when people uh, use an emotion-focused approach to understand what the function of the and the role of the eating or not eating has been, and how to get a better way to feel and to deal with painful feelings.
0: So rather than just rewind the tape and start again, Joanne, I would like to say how fabulous it is to hear you say that. Yeah, well, I think it. it's, I, I've always gone around saying,
1: you know, an eating disorder is not a brain tumor. It is not a terminal illness. And yet it is one of the highest death rates in mental health. I don't want to scare people, but it is just the reality. But it's like people dying of something that is completely curable. And that breaks my heart. And every time I give a training or every time I talk to parents or the individuals I do treatment, I'm always like, get your running shoes on because let's do this because there's something you can do. So where's the starting line? The starting line for me, again, it's simple. I'm not saying it's easy. Don't ever let anybody say and quote me saying it's easy, but I'm just saying that there is a certain simplicity to it. In the emotion-focused approach, we understand and see that painful emotion experiences come from unmet needs. And fortunately, unmet needs come from only three basic sources or domains we have when we're in our so-called formative years we have attachment or security or love needs we have identity or sort of recognition needs sort of one is like i need to be held for attachment and i need to be seen for recognition and the third is we have safety needs and that one is i need to be protected And if again, we think about the role of parents, parents have a big job and there's bound to be mishaps, losses, failures, and even traumas and big, big injuries in one or the other of those domains. We can't always hold our children perfectly. We can't always see and recognize and give them the credit that they need perfectly. And we certainly can't protect them from all the ills of the world. But as soon as I understand that if I can look for where an individual, and especially with the help of their family, if the family is willing to be involved, where there might've been some unmet needs that resulted in painful emotions, and I understand that eating or not eating is like a magic brain medicine for painful feelings, because it works, it numbs people, it's like just as good as taking a strong painkiller, then I can say, if we can address and acknowledge those unmet needs and find other ways to make up for them, the person doesn't need the medicine that the eating disorder is giving them any more because they find healthy ways to make up for or compensate for the needs that weren't met. I don't know if that's too long a story, but you can ask me to break it down.
0: So, yes, can you break it down please, Joanne? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so first let's look at let's look at eating issues. And again, I really I keep saying eating or not eating because we know some eating disorders have people eating too much and others have people starving and lots of people who have messed up eating do both, right? And purging and ex- all the things that go with it. But all this around food. There's such fascinating research that you don't need to be a big scientist to be fascinated the fact that they've done tons of research on rats and Oreo cookies. Uh, And the fact is, you can take normal weight rats and you can turn them into obese binge eaters by starving them and then giving them what's called palatable foods, just foods that are yummy to the palate, because they have a sort of addictive quality. And they, the reason that they do is because they calm down anxiety. They actually work in the brain like, uh, almost like an antidepressant in the short run. And so does starving. So yummy foods and starvation both are like me taking a good strong dose of pain medicine. So imagine if I'm in emotional pain, if I'm having anxiety or, or sorrow that is too deep to handle and I don't have anything or I have depression or something. Or loss and I either starve or eat too much. It helps. Who wouldn't do that? Is that, do you think of that as a disease or a really smart sort of inner self that finds a way? I always say when dads come in to, to, to help with a child, young or adult child that has an eating disorder, I say, next time you go for knee surgery, are you going to say, don't bother giving me the anesthetic? Uh, uh-uh. uh, everybody would say, don't you cut into my knee till you give me my anesthetic. That's what people with eating disorders are doing. They are taking the anesthetic.
0: I imagine for a lot of people just hearing that, I'm going to say simple fact, it's not that simple, but as, as you say that, that eating, eating a lot or certain foods or uh, starving, that starving calms you. I imagine that that is quite really elucidating for a lot of people.
1: Well, and think of what it does for you and for the people who love the individual who's doing it. It makes them say again, no wonder you're doing this. You felt so bad. You starved. You felt better. Who wouldn't do it? Right? It's kind of a little bit like a drug, like heroin. It's not that we think heroin is good and you might end up dying of it, but it sure works.
0: Yeah. It works. And that's also what makes it hard to find something to replace it with. But you're suggesting that if those needs can be met in a different way, you can replace it.
1: Well, let me get you to look at it another way. I just keep disagreeing with you, don't I? I'm a really <laughs> yeah, great guest. <laughs> because look at it another way. If you had a child who went off into the woods, I used to always use this, and they got lost. And then three or five days later, they came out all kind of scratched and a little the worse for wear, but they had survived. They had figured out a way to get through. You could say, well, oh my gosh, they've got, you know, a broken limb and they've got like, you know, this and this going on with them and they've all a mess. But wow, how creative and resourceful were they to find out how to survive. Think of it this way. Maybe we don't, say let's start all over and find a new way to meet your needs why don't we say this person with the eating disorder is incredibly creative and resourceful not at meeting the need starving and stuffing doesn't meet the need but it does help to manage the pain of the unmet need the painful emotion of the unmet need so why don't we say wow this person is really good at figuring out how to make themselves feel better so let's almost just switch the target a little bit and help them see that they figured that out because of their own resourcefulness and yeah. with a little support they can find new ways it's not like do you see what i mean you don't have to throw the whole you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater
0: yeah well done for surviving is kind of what exactly. you're saying exactly right? oh you you agreed with me <laughs> that's a first <laughs> <laughs> i'm such a tough case <laughs> So so Joanne, how do you by celebrating if you want the efforts of the person or celebrating the the canniness of of the person that's experiencing the difficulties with eating, whether it's whether it's eating too much or eating too little or eating in a complicated way, what's the next step? Well, One of the ways,
1: as you say it, you know, it really brings to mind the notion of, you know, that old idea that argument begets argument. I mean, we, it is really a truism, isn't it, of human functioning. If you, if you tell me, don't do that. I'm like, I oh, will do it if I want. <laughs> right. So if we think again that this is the way to, when I deeply understand you authentically, I might be like, if I'm a, if I'm a loved one or even the therapist, therapists of eating disorders, it's hard not to. You are scared. You can't even get away from it. You're scared they're going to die. You're scared you you want the best for them. But if I can recognize that emotion in me, so it's all about the emotion competence that I develop, if I can recognize that emotion, if I can then, for in spite of my own fears, and maybe if I'm a loved one, my own self-blame. For the fact that you're struggling with your eating. If I can put those, just sort of accept them in me and put them aside and really look at you and say, Wow, no wonder you don't eat, or no wonder you end up eating too much when this is the case. As soon as you do that, instead of trying to argue and change the person, this is what the this is really where motivation comes into treating or working with eating disorders. When you accept and figure out what motivates the person to do what they're doing now, that is when they find their own internal motivation to change. Whereas when you try to motivate them to change, they're going to give you resistance. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does make sense. It's like uh, pushing too hard, I guess.
1: Yes, Push, push makes for pushback right? So what if I could look at you and say, wow, no wonder, and this, this, this. It's amazing. It's amazing how you see it. The person will start to say, but actually it's holding me back from going back to school or from, you know, having uh, the life I want or having a family or whatever. But but if you say, but don't you want a family? Don't you want to go back to school? <laughs> they, they just hide deeper and deeper, right? So it's this real emotion validation just seems to be such a key to making people feel like you're on their side you're on you're on the you're in the race with them you're not just standing on the sidelines saying you can do it
0: it's it kind of develops some sort of pride or celebration rather than shame that's what I'm hearing
1: a hundred percent and you know
0: it's pride
1: versus shame and you know what else it is it's Imagine if you are feeling like not only maybe that something's you know been hurtful emotionally in your social life or wherever that all can happen, but imagine if you haven't felt like um, that you have the power to do something about it. It's amazing to watch somebody who doesn't eat how that is power. You know, I once had a client who said to me, you know, Their family was, we don't call the children's aid when a family is into health food. Like, this is why we can't blame anybody for, we just have to look at what happened and try to get our minds around it. Their family was super health foody, just super like, we only eat this kind of food and said, you know, my family used to monitor every single thing that went into my mouth. And then with this bitter, like a sad kind of power said, well, now they monitor everything that goes out. Do you see what I mean? It's it's like if you don't recognize and help somebody find their own power, eating is a great way. There is no greater power than starving to death at my parents' table of plenty of food.
0: As you're saying this, Joanne, I'm wondering that people that are listening that may be getting some pearls of wisdom, some some understanding about how their emotions are involved for for them as parent or for them as someone with with an eating disorder. And I'm wondering what you suggest they do with that, maybe new knowledge. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's you know, and again, you know, we do not, we would not answer something like that in in an offhand or cavalier way, right? Because these are severe, people can get very severely ill, clearly. So we don't want to say, oh, you know, yeah, listen to a podcast, get all the answers, and then just go ahead and jump off a cliff, right? But we can say that being able to start to talk even more, to listen to the individual you know, whether it's a friend, loved one, your own child, you know, being able to really hear what's going on and being able to maybe acknowledge, I haven't really been listening to what's going on, have I? And then looking at the power part, because this is, um, you know, you and I have talked plenty about power dynamics at different times. This is a great area, what we actually get families to do, regardless of the age, is to say, I'm here now, and I'm making lunch, and I'm going to you while you eat it. and but, but I'm sorry I wasn't listening. And so when it's not lunchtime or dinnertime or breakfast time, I'm going to listen and hear what I haven't been hearing. But for your food, it's no longer going to be the communication system in this family. I'm deeply sorry I let it get to be that point. But now I'm going to listen properly and see what else you need and at lunchtime i'm going to sit while you eat the food cuz you need to eat it because i'm taking the power back around the food and i'm giving you more power around being able to talk about what we haven't been hearing
0: that's a very brave move as you're saying that to be able to say okay we're going to do things differently now and i'm sorry that i haven't been here i mean that's it's 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 a brave thing for someone to do it is and you know I used to always say, you know,
1: have the courage to do it. And then, yet, here I go again, Lou disagreeing with you. No, not really. We're just finding different ways to talk about it. Because, you know, we don't want to make people feel like we think it's just so easy and snap of a finger. I used to say brave, and then I'd say, well, what about the people who can't do it? Does that mean they're chickens? And I didn't like that. So, you know, what I say is, what about have faith? And it doesn't have to be any particular religious faith, just the, the small f- version of faith. What about faith in myself, faith in you, and faith in the power of emotion, and faith in the idea that if I can acknowledge mine, like maybe I was so scared when I saw the eating stuff start that I didn't know what to do. If I can acknowledge that and say, I do have faith in me, and I do have faith in your healthy side, And I have faith that we have the same emotion brain and we can learn this language of emotion. And when we talk it, and you know what that's going to mean? Let's warn people a little bit. If someone isn't starving or stuffing, as I said before, you know what? Let's get everybody in the position of caregiver or helper or friend ready for the blast they're going to get. Do you know how hard it is for someone who hasn't been eating or has been overeating to actually normalize their eating they're going to be so full of rage and and despair and so you're going to have to say when one Dad said it to me once. He said, you're telling me we have to have broad shoulders. And I said, that's exactly it. So all of us, can we have faith that we have broad shoulders, no matter how we actually look on the outside, and that when the person bangs against them and pounds us on the chest, we're like, bring it. I got you. And now have one more bite of your
0: bagel. Your enthusiasm and your positive, I want to call it a positive message, Joanne, but brings a lot of hope for people, and maybe that is the faith, right? That people can do this. It's not easy, but it's possible.
1: Absolutely. And I want people to know I hear so often, more often than you would even believe, Lou, I hear stories, even people I saw twenty years ago, whose parents still update me about their lives, getting me- I just have the most beautiful picture of a bride. And when I first saw her, she didn't look in any shape to to, you know, start a life with somebody else. And yet they say, you know, thank you for my life back. Thank you for, for our daughter back. Uh, You know, so I think it, it can happen. I really do want people to have that hope and that faith.
0: Thank you so much for talking with me on this episode. Dr. Joanne Delhante, who is supervising and consulting clinical psychologist based in Toronto, Canada, and who developed with Dr. Leslie Greenberg the emotion focused therapy approach to eating disorders. Thank you, Joanne. Thank you, Lou. If you'd like to find out more about Joanne and about this podcast, please go to our website, emotionfocused.com.